Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm. My co-host is Katie Vernoy. And as always, thank you for listening to us. And if you do us a favor and go wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really helps us out. And so much of what Katie and I try to do is to talk about things that therapists don't get taught or we hear about in just kind of very minuscule areas of of our practice, of the way that we go about things. And one of those areas that we've been really trying to explore for a very long time is this aspect of how antitrust laws really affect the way that we go about our business. So some of us hear about this in kind of very broad ways. Some of us don't know how this applies to us at all. Some of you might be hearing about this for the very first time today. So buckle up. We are going to get into all sorts of super exciting, centuries-old congressional laws and the way that this affects our practices. So (laughs) Katie is already bored to tears. And (laughs) the way that we're structuring this episode is... I have, through some of my work with the California Board of Behavioral Sciences, been tasked with learning about antitrust stuff. We thought that this would be a good way to present this information as I'll provide background information, and Katie's going to kind of represent the everyman questions of, well, how does this actually look in practice? So uh, I've been talking for a while. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you did talk for a while, but I think it is important to recognize that even if antitrust is not the thing that you want to be listening to over your morning coffee, it is important to understand it because I think there is a lot of times, especially in our work on the camped board, where folks will come up and say, why can't camp do this? Or why can't camp do that? And I think oftentimes, even in the beginning of our board meetings, we we comment on antitrust. And so I think understanding it and understanding how to have advocacy happen that doesn't put us at risk of going against antitrust, I think is very important. So we'll get into professional associations and antitrust stuff a little bit later in the episode here. So diving in. And just just a comment that we're not speaking for CAMFT or any professional association, and we're only speaking for ourselves. I think that's important when we're talking about legal stuff, right? It is. <laughs> so the Sherman Antitrust Act was passed and in, signed into law in 1890 by Benjamin Harrison, and it regulates competition among enterprises. The Sherman Act broadly prohibits anti-competitive agreements, and unilateral conduct that monopolizes or attempts to monopolize a relevant market. 
So we're already starting out with, this is 2019 when we're recording this, and this is a law that has been federally in place for about 130 years. So for people who are thinking of complaining about, well, we, we need to get through this, not only has Congress updated this several times in the last 130 years, but the U.S. Supreme Court has upheld several statutes and interpretations of this as well. This law is not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I think it's something where the law itself, I don't think, seems problematic to me. To me, it's something where when you've got these big, giant corporations and, and they're trying to create these monopolies, and I, every time you get, you're going to say monopoly, I'm going to picture the board game. But And ironically... There's only one company that owns Monopoly. <laughs> I think it's something where that the issue of these big, gigantic corporations and kind of the big guys not being able to come together to set prices or set practices in place that could hurt the consumer, that sounds great to me. I think the thing that's hard is relating that to an individual therapist and looking at kind of these other hulking organizations like insurance companies that seem to be working against us and each of us have to kind of tilt at those windmills alone. And so I think that's the thing that's more more problematic than the law. So, and this is where we really need to step back. We are, we are very relational people, but in the eyes of the law, each of us as individual practitioners who run our own practices are seen as competitors in the marketplace because at its core, this is a Consumer Protection Act, although there, th this really wasn't an, an attempt of being solely about consumer protection. It does look at each individual business as its own individual business. For instance, my practice could be seen as being equivalent to McDonald's and Katie's could be seen <laughs> as being equivalent to Burger King, just at a much, much smaller scale. And when we look at it from a consumer protection aspect, this is where we are independent as far as our clinical practices go. And therefore, if we start colluding on things like how much we're going to charge clients or how much we're going to market into each other's territories, this is seen as anti-competitive business practices and colludes to the marketplace. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But I think a lot of what we've talked about is that in truth, we're, yeah, we're competitors. I, I'm not sure I like being Burger King, but I, I get your point. <laughs> but I think it's something where there is so much collaboration that we want to do. Oftentimes, we'll work with each other on cases. There's things where it doesn't feel competitive. And I think the other thing that most therapists, not me, because you know I, I'm all about the business stuff, but a lot of therapists don't see themselves as a business, even though they have a practice. So I think it's it's something where it's hard to translate that because I'm little old me Yes, yes, I have a business, but I'm not competing with Kurt because we're going to collaborate on cases or we're going to do work together. And I think that's the part that I think can be hard to, to translate. But I will concede the point. We are individual businesses and we are competitors because I think that is the truth. And you and I, I think in our networking episode, talked about how a lot of therapists will only network with their competitors and stand up and say, I see the same clients as you and expect referrals. So I think we do need to get a very clear sense of ourselves as businesses. So I think that's a positive thing, but, but recognizing not only are we businesses, we're in competition with each other according to the law. Yay, free market. And <laughs> 
it really is important to look at this because when it comes to acknowledging yourself as a business or not, ignorance or willful ignorance of considering yourself as a business doesn't actually stand up as a is a legal defense if you're ever in violation of these things. So you do need to acknowledge that, yes, you are a business or you are a part of a larger business. So some of this stuff will go into group practices and larger delivering of mental health services. And we've mentioned some of how antitrust comes up in some of our other episodes, our episode on the Kaiser strike. We talked about how it's a strike, not a group bike boycott, but we'll dive into that right now because I'm talking about it. <laughs> so in addition to price fixing and in addition to market share agreements of, and what I mean by that is that not going into other people's territory or going to business, but group boycotts are also about coming to a agreement, whether it's formalized or not, to not utilize a certain business's standards or services or goods in order to drive that business out of business. I'm going to say business a lot during this episode, but <laughs> if Katie and I were sitting around a networking meeting with a bunch of other therapists and we said, you know, we all need this widget to operate our, our practices. We need to have an electronic health record. And we all agree that this company is not one that we like. We should not use them. We should all agree to use somebody else. This is a group boycott in development and can be seen as an anti-competitive practice to not using whoever we freely choose to use. But if I individually say, I don't like this electronic health record, and someone says, I don't either, and people then decide of their own free will to use the best electronic health record because it's the one that we always talk about, is it something, is that still the same thing? Because if we're not you know, colluding together to try to do this, this thing, but if we just ask our, our colleagues, what are you using? What's the best? And somebody says, oh, this one's awful. And we listen to that. That's just good business practice. To me, it's not planning to boycott. Sure. And this is where within the interpretations of the way that the Sherman Act was written is that there is independent decision-making that is allowed. And part of this is being aware of publicly available information. So, trying to you know, kind of use some more concrete examples that will then pull kind of into our therapy world here. If a gas station is advertising their prices and a competing gas station is seeing that the gas station prices across the street are lower, those are publicly available information. They can then lower their prices in order to remain competitive. A McDonald's employee can walk across the street to Burger King and see how much they're charging for French fries. These are publicly available pieces of information where it gets a little bit shadier and where we need to protect ourselves is when we get into these hyper-focused groups, whether it's networking, whether it's a Facebook group designed specifically for therapists, like our modern therapist group, come on over and join it. We love to have you <laughs> add to these conversations. A little bit of native advertising in the middle of our... Yeah, that wasn't real smooth though, but continue. <laughs> uh, but when the competition is entering into these more private spaces and having these conversations. This is where it can be 
somewhat easily traced back to this is no longer publicly available information. This is the development of a de facto cartel. And I like to think of a de facto therapist cartel as a bunch of people in like suede jackets and uh, <laughs> cardigans. <laughs> <laughs> So if we're in a group like the modern therapist group or tip or, or something therapists in private practice, if we're in one of those groups and we're talking about fees and then we all decide that we're going to have the same fee, that is the making of the suede jacket and cardigan wearing cartel. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it is. That, that is kind of the definition of, of what a cartel is because now this group of therapists has said, hey, free market, we're not allowing for somebody to be competitive to lower their prices. We're, we're all agreeing that in order for us to maximize the profits of our businesses and the businesses around us, we are going to hold the marketplace to having to pay this higher price. But if I just say, hey, this is my fee, and I put that out there, whether it's on my, you know, whether it's in one of these private conversations in a networking meeting or in a Facebook group, obviously if it's on my website, it's, it's public information. People can do with it what they want. But if I just in conversation, whether it's a post or a comment or whatever, if I say my fee is $200 and somebody else says, oh, that's a good fee. I want to do that too. And somebody says, oh, I'd never charge that much. I'm not going to do that. That doesn't seem like it's price fixing. It just seems like people are, are making others aware of what they've what they're charging they're they're advertising their publicly available information right we're in a in an absolutely free market so this is where we're talking about like non-contracted rates and we'll steer this to contracted rates here in just a moment stating your fee is absolutely fine it's when the conversation shifts to we all should make sure that we charge at least $150 a session so that way we can all stay in business. Ah. It's where we start to say, hey, if you charge less than $100, then that means that I have to drop my prices too and I, I like charging higher prices. Why don't you just keep your prices up? Or you know, there's a lot of Facebook groups that'll ask for a sliding scale thing and you'll see a bunch of therapists kind of racing to the lowest fee that they'll provide. And every so often I'll see a comment of, hey, guys, you're killing the business. Raise your <laughs> fees so that way we can all stay in business. Those are the kinds of conversations that steer it more towards this collusion of keeping the marketplace paying a, a certain premium price for the services. Where this happens actually more often is when it comes to managed care panels because yeah. even though you're all contracted still within a managed care company and... I'm not currently, but for a bunch of therapists who are all under one managed care plan, you sometimes see discussions going around, you know, I haven't received a raise in 30 years and, mm -hmm. you know, we all should quit this panel. So that way they're forced to come back to us and pay higher rates because we have had a good relationship with them, even though that they haven't raised their fees. Even though you're still within that same managed care panel, you're still seen as competitive businesses because your employer is not the managed care plan. It is Yourself. you still as, as an individual. Yeah. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. 
From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Yeah, and I think there's there's two things going on there, right? There's the the trying to to set fees or set rates, and then there's also the the planned boycott. And so both of those things I think are are problematic because I think it, it's something where there's there's the the antitrust issue, but there's also this piece of it's anti-consumer in a lot of ways. Like we're gonna just boycott this insurance panel because it's so bad, but so people who have that insurance and probably don't have a choice to get another insurance, most likely, because oftentimes work plans are, you know, or, you know, employer plans are, are pretty specific. So, so it negatively impacts the consumers, which is what the, the whole Sherman Antitrust Act was about, is to protect the consumers and make sure that there's not these big, gigantic monopolies that are, are doing this stuff. But I think the other piece is kind of on the flip side I want to let other clinicians know if I've had a bad experience with an insurance panel. And if people say, which panels are you on? I might tell them. And if they say, which ones have you left? I would tell them. And I might tell them why. And so if I do that and they decide then to quit the panel or they decide, you know, to join a panel, is that still, I mean, when does it go across the line? Because I, I don't want to hurt consumers. I don't want to be part of a, you know, cardigan wearing cartel. But I do want to make sure that my colleagues are not getting involved in things that are really bad for their business or really hurtful. I mean, and, and as the business consultant, I obviously share that information with my clients. And so at what point does it become a problem? Because I, I don't think that we should try to boycott certain panels or do those kinds of things for the reasons that I said. But I also don't think that I'm going to stand by if someone's on this panel and complaining and saying, yeah, that's not just you this is a bad panel. So I'm citing here, this is an article from Ann Tran uh, from the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists called Avoiding Antitrust Problems. And in it, she describes several instances where a cartel or an antitrust decision can be as little as two competing practices. So for instance, two independently practicing therapists agree with each other to terminate their provider contracts with a managed care plan after informal discussions regarding problems the therapists are having with the plan. Well, that's just malarkey. I mean, I understand that, but really, <laughs> <laughs> like if you and I talk and say, and I, and you're like, I'm thinking about getting on an insurance plan. And I would say, well, these are the ones I'd recommend. And I don't recommend these. I've now, we've, we're now in violation of antitrust. We, we are potentially setting ourselves up. And I think it's important to point out that I am not a lawyer, that this is <laughs> kind of a therapist's understanding of antitrust laws. So the nuances of this are really going to be 
better described. Like if you're really worried that you have a, a little tiny cardigan cartel, um, <laughs> talk to a lawyer. The, this is, it's a very complex area and we've tried in the past to have antitrust lawyers come on and talk to us about this in, in a more legalese sort of way. And the complexities of this have made it even difficult for us to get guests on this. So when it really, this is kind of the therapist view of things, of things to be aware of, talk to a lawyer. That's really the call to action on this. I think for me, and this is potentially specific to me, as a business coach for therapists, oftentimes we're having these conversations and I'm advising them on which insurance panels to pursue and which ones to potentially not consider. It sounds like I am I am starting my own little cartel and I didn't even know it. <laughs> yes, you, you very well might be, but it would also kind of look at potentially where where your clients are. It's one thing if you're talking to your suite mate, you know, yeah. this is definitely within the same market. There's a whole part of this antitrust stuff that really deals more so with interstate commerce and businesses going across states. And this is where some of the health insurance antitrust exemptions. So the insurance companies don't have to follow the same rules that we do because they have an exemption. So this deals largely with the 1945 McCarran-Ferguson Act, which gives the states the power to regulate the business of insurance. And this says that if we make insurance companies a state-by-state regulated thing, then insurance companies have an antitrust exemption at a federal level that the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice aren't going to regulate insurance companies that are regulated within the state. Seems pretty good at face value, at least as far as healthcare providers go, because it's more tightly controlled because it's a smaller area. There's more specific rules. And anybody who's familiar with insurance plans know that insurance plans can vary wildly within a state, let alone state by state. And so insurance in Arkansas is going to be much different than insurance in California. This is part of the Republican Care Plan, uh, had they been able to turn, overturn the Affordable Care Act, of allowing interstates uh, selling of insurance. So that an Arkansas company could sell insurance to California customers. Uh, it would have opened up a lot more of this antitrust stuff to the insurance companies and really reevaluating that exemption. But still <laughs> not good news in this. Uh, At least in states like California, there are several different insurance regulating bodies. And it's not like the insurance companies are regulated by all of the bodies. They can jump from one body to another. So the insurance commissioner might come down hard on an insurance company and they say, you know what, we fit really more under Department of Managed Healthcare. And so the punishments to the insurance companies are A, very small compared to the amount of money that they make in the first place, and B, not necessarily super enforceable unless they're all under one house. Well, and I think there's another thing that I've seen a lot because I do accept insurance in my practice is that there are companies that have offices all over the country 
And so even people in California may have a Texas or Colorado insurance plan because their main office is in Texas or Colorado. So I think there's so much that the insurance companies have been able to do to kind of wiggle out of this antitrust. And so it really does feel unfair that clinicians can't come together and try to negotiate higher rates. It just seems like, especially for, for therapists, for mental health providers, that we get short shift on this. Like <laughs> we're getting shafted. The one kind of other way, and I, I mentioned our episode about the mental health therapist working for Kaiser, is that this exemption applies to, again, these independent practices. So Katie's practice and anybody else who's paneled within the same insurance companies as her, where agency work and where working for an organization like Kaiser are different is that those are therapists who are employed by the same employer and are actual employees. They're not contracted like a regular insurance plan would be. So what this does is it allows for strikes because you're not group boycotting against a outside entity, you are actually striking against your employer. This is where potentially in any sort of future health insurance sort of things that the professional associations would actually allow for the creation of unions. The professional associations would not turn into unions, but the professional associations would encourage unions under a single payer system where people who are employed by essentially the government would have a lot better chance of being able to unionize to negotiate reimbursement rates as a group. So having a, a union definitely allows for you to negotiate as a group. That's what the benefits of a union would be. But coming back to a point from earlier about the professional associations, Katie and I are both on the board of California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. And we're not speaking for them. Still not speaking for them. <laughs> But the associations, we, we start all of our board meetings with, you know, reviewing our antitrust statement. It's almost like a pledge of allegiance to our board meetings, like stand <laughs> up, put your hand over your heart. And we don't do that. <laughs> almost. <laughs> we acknowledge it. We acknowledge it and understand it. But professional associations have really a, a weird place in all of this because we're not supposed to discuss wages. And, you know, if the Federal Trade Commission wants to come after Katie and her practice, the penalties are pretty severe, like several hundred thousand dollars per fine. Oh, goodness. And jail time. Usually at least four months in jail is the recommended amount of time for antitrust violations if it involves jail. The Professional associations penalties start in the millions of dollars per violation. So oh, wow. this is where, and you know, if the FTC is really going to go after somebody, if the Department of Justice is really going to go after somebody, Katie's, you know, small fish compared to an organization that might have several million dollars sitting in their coffers. So they're going to go after the big people first. But this is where it's really important for professional associations to ensure that they are not creating a cartel opportunity by allowing members to discuss their reimbursement rates and have that happen under the organization's umbrella. So they are very resistant to allowing this. Now, you might say, hey, Kurt, my professional organization collects demographic information about me, including the fees that I charge. How are they allowed to do this? And I would say, hey, listener, that's a great question. 
organizations are allowed to have a demographic survey of their members, and they are allowed to publish this at least four months after the data is collected. So they are allowed to ask about past fees, not about current or future plans. So it's a good benefit to members to participate in these surveys. And there's some other regulations in there. It should, it should be conducted by an independent third party. It shouldn't be done by the organization itself. It should be available to non-members of the organization to participate in it, in it as well. So it's not just reflective of the organization itself, but of all people holding a given license. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. And I think that can be helpful information. And I think there are other entities, not necessarily even professional organizations that kind of gather information and, and post it, you know, in this way to help us all understand the trends, because I think it is res- responsible business to understand the trends in fees and, you know, all of the in insurance and all of the stuff so we can make informed decisions. So I'm glad we can have that information public. I think the the difficulty I think a lot of therapists have is in understanding where it becomes a problem. So I, I think because you know we're we're getting close to where we have to wrap up, but I think what I'm really hearing is that it's about changing from sharing information to making plans and trying to influence each other in the decisions we make in an in a in a strategic way. I think, you know, I, I was joking that I've got my, my cardigan cartel, but in truth, even in, in the conversations I'm having, I'm not saying don't use this insurance plan for this reason. I'm saying, hey, here's the pros and cons. What decision do you want to make? And, and that's, I think, the, the important aspect. It's we can share information. We just can't make decisions for each other. Absolutely. One last piece that comes in is, you know, sometimes when we dive into some of these deeper legal and ethical issues, a question that we get back is, how often does this actually happen to therapists? Are are there actually healthcare providers who are having this happen? My quick research into this is that as far as psychotherapists go, this doesn't seem to be Uh, hugely on the radar of the FTC or the DOJ. But what I do see is a lot of similar level licenses having this happen. Chiropractors, physical therapists. So it's not a far jump to say that if we start doing these things that we would be completely exempt. I'm looking at an article here and we'll include it in our show notes available at mtsgpodcast.com. But this is from July of 2018 that a physical therapist staffing company in Dallas-Fort Worth area was fined for actually creating a market cap on how much they would actually pay physical therapists working for them. So this does work both ways as well as far as setting you know prices that are too high, but also driving wages down too low. Yeah. This is you know a big part of you know not just on the antitrust stuff, but why Katie and I are so passionate about making sure that therapists and especially pre-licensed therapists get paid is that that creates kind of a potential for a collusion between agencies of driving wages down as well. That feels like that's a whole other conversation. 
Because I know that there is a lot of public information made for for wages. So I think there's there's a lot of things that could happen there. But I think to me, it's good to know that therapists haven't, like we don't have a whole bunch of therapists like, you know, rotten away in prison for antitrust. Because I think it it is something that's fairly mild. We don't necessarily pull together as large groups of people and try to, you know, set fees or boycott insurance panels or whatever. But I think it is important to be aware of it. And I think a lot of times, especially like in the Facebook groups or that kind of stuff, somebody starts mentioning fees or starts mentioning contracted rates for insurance and everybody's like, antitrust <laughs> and freaks out. And I think it sounds like publicly available information, which could be your own fees, which you might post on your profile or on your website. Some of the insurance panels have publicly available, uh, you know, different types of, of contracted rates so people could learn that. But oftentimes there is a kind of behind the scenes, each contracted individual has their own rates. And so sharing insurance rates and talking about those things, that's where, where it crosses a line. So yes, you can say what your fees are. No, you can't play with somebody else. Yes, you can share publicly available information, but no, you can't share insider information from your own little company about what your insurance plan is paying you. Yes. In other words, State what's there, no call to action. <laughs> so uh, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but come join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group. Check out uh, some of the references that we're going to put on our show notes at mtsgpodcast.com. And we have our call for speakers out for our 2019 Therapy Reimagined Conference. Woo-hoo! It's October 18th and 19th here in the Los Angeles area and two days of dealing with modern therapist conference topics. So submit your proposals. We'll have our crew evaluate through them and pick out the very best things that are the most pressing things for therapists today. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.